0: Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. You just carry on <laughs> as you were as Good evening. I'm Michael. I'm putting a I'm sorry I'm I'm cutting those conversations short so quickly. Let's be honest, I always run over anyway and we're looking at our watches going, Woohoo! <laughs> we'll be here forever. Um, uh, For those of you who don't know me, I'm I'm Michael, I'm on staff here at HDC, and if this is your first time here, a particularly warm welcome to you. Last week we started a sermon series, and what we're doing is we're looking at the gospel. We're looking at these big kind of foundational concepts about the good news of Jesus Christ and what that means for us. And last week, Jago talked about being saved by the gospel, and for many of us, we're like, yep. I'm on board. I understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and I've been following him. I've been following him for maybe decades, or last week was the first time you said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And for some of us here tonight, actually, we're not at that stage. We're not ready to say that. And welcome. We just love that you're here, and however and wherever you're at on that journey, we just hope that being here is going to help you in that. But for many of us, we're on board. And the problem is with Christianity over the generations is we've done what no other religion and no other belief has done. We've compartmentalized our faith. So we've gone, brilliant, I'm saved for eternity. And I know I'm meant to tell people about it. And then that's it. We wouldn't phrase it like that, but that's what we do. We've got the eternity bit. and, And then this good news, this amazing, incredible news has no effect on any other part of our life. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh no, he's not going to talk about every single part of our lives to light. No, I'm not going to do that because we'd be here for hours, which would be my dream and your nightmare. But what we're going to do, what I want us to do is to think through this good news. What what is are we liberated? What does it mean to be liberated by the gospel? So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at a famous passage. Many of you would have read it. If you want to grab a Bible on the end of your rose and turn with me to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. And the reason this is important, right? The reason that we need to get rid of this framework that this eternal bit is the only bit is because we need to see how amazing this gospel is the amazing message of hope and salvation, which is freely given, freely given, not so, oh, we're just wandering around going, oh, eternity's sorted. Because the question is, and it's going to be, we're going to go into quite a few different places, but what does this good news say about my addictions or my trials and my pains, and the hurt, and the shame, and the confusion, and the struggle, and the effect of other people's sin on my life. What does it say about that? So that's where we're going. Not just, oh, my eternity's sorted. Now, what does it mean for us now? And just as an aside, I, I, I think if we, if we want every life bearing fruit for Jesus, and we want every life bearing fruit for Jesus in South London, they don't... People aren't just going to bother with us coming, oh, this is the latest argument, right? People don't even believe in truth, let alone whether Jesus was a good guy or not. And I'll tell you what people will wake up and see is transformed lives, liberated lives by the gospel. So that's what we're looking at because that's what we want to be. We want to say, yeah, that's what we're for. Okay, so Isaiah 61. Um, Just just for time's sake, I'm going to tell you the end of the story. Um, In Luke 4, Jesus goes to a synagogue and he's handed um, part of the Old Testament scriptures to read. He's handed this part. And then what they used to do, the rabbis, is that they would explain it, right? They would exposit it, expository, kind of explaining what it means. Jesus reads this passage and he does the most incredible sermon that no one has ever been able to say. He goes, that's me. Boom. It's like the big mic drop, isn't it? He's just read it and he goes, boom, that's me, I'm here. Right, so what we're reading now, if if we're a Christian, is we're reading this passage knowing that Jesus is going to claim to be this person. Okay, so that's where we're at. Okay, Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3. I'm going to read the whole thing and then we're going to spend about six hours just kind of unpicking it. Okay, here we go. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now, just before we get to it, I just I've been trying to work out what to say about this passage, and I and I think I've come to the conclusion that there's probably three groups of Christians here tonight. One, you're gonna hear this and go, This is just not relevant to me. In a, you know, you're just like, this isn't relevant for me. And, And that's great, but can I ask you to be praying for the people it is relevant for? There's going to be another group of Christians that have never considered that the gospel is meant to interfere with their lives in this way. And you'll say, it's just not relevant for me. But can I ask you to be praying, is this relevant for me? And there's going to be others of us that this is going to strike a chord and will be relevant. And my prayer and the prayer of the team here is that you would encounter the risen Lord Jesus Christ in every area of your life, no matter how difficult or dark it is. Okay? So, Isaiah 61. Now, notice in verse 1 how many me's there are. Right? This is one person. But look, have a look at me. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Now, the reason this passage is so complex is because it, it alternates between objective truth claims and poetic license, right? He starts with an objective truth claim. Have a look at me right at the top. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. So you see your capital Lord there. That means that this is the same Lord who spoke to Moses in the burning bush. You know, Moses says to the God, who is this? And he says, I am. That's who I am. I am. So the objective truth claim here is that I am, the spirit of I am is on this person. Jesus is going to claim it's him. So This is a massive thing. This is not just Jesus saying I'm an ordinary guy. This is I've encountered God, I'm from God, I know God. The God, the I am God, not just any God, the I am God. So that's who he's from. And then he's got a message And this, we get into the poetic now. This is not an exclusive list, but this is who he's talking to. Have a look at me. There are three groups of people to proclaim good news to the poor, right? All through the Bible, the poor is referred to as two two groups of people. You've got the economically poor and you've got the spiritually poor. Here he's talking about both. Okay, you've got the spiritually poor, that I'm going to bring a social, political message and an eternal message. For those of you who are poor and marginalized and forgotten, I've got a message for you. But he also comes along, Jesus also comes along and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Let's ask the question the other way around. What does it mean to be rich in spirit? If you if you if you if you died and you thought no matter what happens, no matter what type of heaven there is, no matter and if you go, whatever happens, I'll be okay, that makes you spiritually rich, right? That whatever happens will just happen and you'll be okay. If you're spiritually poor, then you look at the world and you go, I, I think I know there's a heaven, but I need help to get there. It means you're spiritually poor, right? You need help. You need Jesus. That's what we talked about last week, that you need to admit. That you need Jesus. That's the great thing about Christianity. Everyone just slides past it. Eventually, we're all going to get what we want. Either we don't want a world with God, and we'll have that for eternity. Or we do want a world with God, and we need help to get there. And we'll have that for eternity. So that's what it means to be poor spiritually. There's another group. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Now, this is the most personal that this me is coming for. This is not just for those who have broken up with an ex. Now, it it can be, but it's not just that. This is the holistic nature of humanity. It might sound really complex and weird, but, but think about it like this. This is the intrinsic part of our existence, the emotional, the psychological, the mental, the holistic healing and restoration and liberation to people. And this me person, he doesn't say broken-heartedness is going to just stop. He's saying, in spite of that broken-heartedness, I'm going to bind it up. And there is broken-heartedness in every area of our lives. And I, and I, and I think that one area that it's talking about is how we, you and I, we talk about ourselves you, you may you may do it yourself, but, or you know people who do it. The words that they speak about themselves are just binding them up. I'm useless. I'm worthless. You're saying these things about yourself, and I think that this is this is one of the areas that this me Jesus is coming to tackle. Now, then he brings two groups of. Together. He uses two images for the same group. Have a look at me. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Now, this is, again, this is both social injustice and spiritual injustice. Now, social injustice, you've got, you know, Jesus comes along and he's got something to say about the social injustice of our time. The church has something to say. We have something to say on the sex slave industry. We have something to say, and Jesus is coming for those people. But he's also coming for the bondage and slavery that can happen spiritually when we are consumed by things that are destructive or good things consume us. So we become prisoners to their will. Let's take money, for example. Right? Money in itself is not a bad thing. But the love of money, it binds and oppresses people in all areas, and it leads to obsession, destruction, and then the extreme cases that we see on the front page of the paper is that they've made and used money in the most horrific of ways. So... This me, Jesus, he's coming for these groups of people and he's coming with a message. Have a look down with me at what it says. Verse two, this is the message. To proclaim, this is the message. The year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now I think Isaiah, he thought that this was going to be one event. You've got the year of the Lord's favor and you've got the day of vengeance of our God. And this is the gospel. Jago unpacked it last week. John 3 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's the gospel. An extended period of God's grace shown in God's love, manifested in Christ's death, affirmed by Christ's resurrection for you and for me. And it's an extended period of time. It's not saying a year is in just a year, it's an extended period of time before one day of judgment. Now, very quickly. If you're a bit if you if you're a bit geeky on these type of things you'll like this if you're not you can zone out for 9 seconds it's totally fine. If you want to flip with me to Luke chapter 4 right Luke chapter 4 you can find it on page 1131. Now you've got these two parts right Year of the Lord's favor, day of judgment. They're combined to make one event, right? This isn't just like he's using poetic license. He's combining these things for one event, okay? Jesus comes along. He starts speaking a whole number of different scriptures, but look at what he does to that important two-part sentence. So Luke chapter 4, verse 19. This is him speaking. To proclaim, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Full stop. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, full stop, that doesn't make any sense. Unless he's saying, that's what I've come for. This first time that I've come, I've come to usher in a whole season of love and grace and restoration and mercy and love and favour. Think about it like this. Isaiah, he's speaking here. Jesus comes and he ushers in this... Season of favor, and one day he'll return for one day of judgment. And he's saying this season of favor is now, today. So what we're about to read isn't for one day far in the future, one day for heaven, it's for now. So if you'd like to turn back with me to Isaiah Chapter 61, page 749. Let's just recap. Objective truth, this is who has sent me. This is who I've come for. This is the message. This is the season that we are in. And he goes on, verse 3. And provide for those who grieve in Zion. Now, I know many of you have see that word Zion and go, Oh, I wonder how he's going to get around this little tricky nugget. Right, Because when the, when the people of God, when the, when the Israelites heard this and when they were understanding it in Jesus' time, they believed that the Messiah was going to lead the nation, their nation, God's people, out of slavery and out of rule. Whether it was the Babylonians or the Assyrians under Isaiah, or whether it was the Romans under Christ. That's why Christ was so despised. He comes along going I am he and they're like well then what's happening with the Romans we like your teaching like your healings but what are you doing for us now where's our liberation now the same with Christians isn't it love the teaching love that I got the eternal bit what about our liberation now what's happening now and the truth is, Jesus comes, right, and he says, I've come to give you life and life to the full. And Jesus makes it clear that he hasn't come to make a political state of one nation, but a spiritual family of all nations. And look at how this whole passage ends, that final Final verse, right? At the bottom of three. They will be called oaks of righteousness. This is Christians, right? The spiritual family. This is what we're going to be like. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That's, that's basically that we are going to be firm and rooted and magnificent. And then it gets even worse that we are now meant to display the splendor of God. My son, he's got chickenpox at the moment all over his body. Do you know what I mean? My wife and I, just, every day we tick it off. We're like, we haven't drunk before five. That's a win. Do you know what I mean? I've come here and I've got nothing. I've got, I'm like, I'm just, ch- and I'm meant to be rooted and flourishing in the splendor. Give me a break. Fat? No, come, come on. <laughs> Don't, I'm not the only one that sometimes comes in and goes, oh my goodness, I've just withered like a leaf on a windy day and, I'll stop. But you know, you get, you get the point, right? Okay. So how do we get to that point? That's what we want to be, right? We want to be rooted. We want to be flourishing. How do we get to that point? Have a look with me, right? Three pairings, beautiful pairings. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, an oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Really quickly, I am gonna la- I'm landing, right? Let's look at those, right? Let's take the oil of joy instead of mourning, right? M- mourning. The opposite of mourning is joy, is rejoicing. And it's the exact opposite response we're meant to have. And that's because the gospel turns things on its head. Death for Christians doesn't become the end, but there's a hope for the future, something to cling to. And so we're anointed with unnatural joy. And this joy and this rejoicing in the face of death, or maybe it's in the face of rejection or in the face of loss, that's our default position. Our default position is to mourn. And yet, that is why at Christian funerals in the most shocking and horrendous ways, right? The most shocking and horrendous Christian funerals, there is always, always some hope. That's the good news. There's always some hope. And it's easy for our mourning to consume us. But what we need to allow is the good news to resonate with us. This isn't claiming that there isn't going to be mourning, that there isn't going to be sadness. It's saying we don't live in only mourning or sadness. But we are bestowed with the oil of Joy, that there is an eternal trajectory. And can I encourage all of us, some of us are in that right now, and you're like, just, you don't know what you're talking about. And I encourage you to ask to be bestowed with that oil of joy. Right? He goes on. The garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair... Now, you could just say, well, we despair at Brexit or we despair at these things. But that wasn't the case for Isaiah. It certainly wasn't the case in Jesus' time. The brokenheartedness that we looked at of life in our emotions, psychological, in our spiritual, can lead us all to despair no matter where we are, when we're feeling totally overwhelmed. who I am and how I feel. You even hear people talk about it, don't you? It's almost like there's a heaviness of despair. Some people will even say it's a spirit of despair. We were praying before the service and someone had 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 a picture of someone who was in a sailing boat accident. And that sailing boat accident, maybe it literally happen maybe it's sometimes just how we feel but there's a sailing boat accident and that has led to a number of things and it's as if right now there is a sense of despair and left with no purpose and for many of us it's when our bodies and our minds lead us to despair and what what do they say? the garments of praise this is not like a, a garment isn't just like a little hat right? This is, this is the, the total covering of one's self. Now, how do, we, how do we praise? We can do it in a whole sense of different ways, right? We can do it through our lives and we can do it through things. But, but we believe here, we're passionate about the sung worship being praised. And that's why we place such a high value on sung worship. Because as we sing those words all through the ages, right? You go to all these different cultures, singing is a way of connecting the head and the heart and the very core of who we are. You know, the worst is when you're just feeling rotten, right? You're feeling like an absolute wretch, right? It's okay. I come into church lots of times and I'm just like, I don't have anything. And they ask you to sing, I'm feeling great because I'm, you're great. And I feel good because you were good. I don't feel anything. (laughs) Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven—for who like thee, thy praise should sing. You can get on board with that, no matter how you feel. The song we're about to sing: I am who you say I am, not how I feel. I am who you say I am. I am a child of God. I am chosen. Even in despair. Right. Finally, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Now, this could sound a lot like mourning. It's not. There's a story in the Old Testament, one of the most horrific stories in the Bible. And it centers on a woman. At the heart of the story is a woman called Tamar. And she feels total shame. This is what she she says about herself. Not just grief. This is what she says about herself. Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And in this story, she's wearing this incredible robe of great jewels and of great value. And this is what it says. Tamar ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing she put her hands on her head and went away weeping aloud as she went this this whole story is a foretaste of Christ Tamar's brother goes on this justice crusade and murders the man guilty And the story is meant to show us that it's not just human justice, but one day there's going to be perfect justice. And perfect justice is only seen on the cross of Christ. That either you'll come to him and your sins will be forgiven, or you'll just pay for them yourself. But when Tamar is in that moment and she's weeping and she's covering herself with ashes, that's not a foretaste of Christ, that's a present reality for her. And Isaiah 61 comes along, By the gospel, by this message, and though ashes might be the response, it's a crown of beauty given. So then the question for each and every one of us, but for some of us especially, is this. Do you know God finds you beautiful? Do you know that? Do you know God finds you beautiful? beautiful this isn't just an eternal thing right now not some future version of yourself right now if you're in christ do you know god finds you beautiful do you live in the burden of shame you are beautiful do you live in the secret darkness of your own sin? You are beautiful. And we look at Jesus' life and we see how these things were paid for. That we are given a crown of beauty because he took a crown of thorns. That we have an oil of joy because he shed his Blood, and we have a garment of praise because He was stripped naked for our sins. And so, my prayer is that each and every one of us would begin to know more the new identity. Because it's so easy, isn't it, to be like, "Oh, just because the eternal thing sorted, this is still who I am." And actually, you need to hear, you need to know the new identity you have in Christ. This is who he says you are. And so for some of us, this hasn't resonated. For some of us, something has kind of gone, I've never thought about it like that. And I just want to pray with someone. In this first song, as as most of us stay in our seats, we're going to sing this song out loud. I am who you say I am. And for anyone here that anything has picked up or they felt moved in any way, I'm going to invite you to come. The prayer team are going to be here ready. And we'd love to pray for anyone as you kind of pray through who it is that God says you are. So can I invite the band up? If you're on the prayer team, you can come and just stand here. Can I invite us all to stand? And I'm going to pray. And then when we start singing, if that's you, if you're like, yeah. I don't know why. I don't know how. I just want to come and pray with people. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by your great and glorious and good gospel, You adopt us, you've ransomed us, you've loved us, you've given us joy and hope, even in the midst of great mourning and grief. You've chosen us, called us by name, and you bestow on us a crown of beauty. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you go before us, that you are with us, and we ask that you would minister to our hearts and our minds.